0: This is Anthems. Hello there, I'm Evelyn Mock, and I'm a Swedish-Chinese comedian living and working in the UK. Your word of the day is narrative. Now, before we start, let me break myself down fully for you, because there is a lot going on here. As I said, I am a Swedish-born, Chinese, immigrant, working-class, plus-size, pansexual lady who's lactose intolerant. So as you can tell, my metaphorical cup just with, with identity. And honestly, I find that it's a cup that nobody wants to drink out of because there's just too much going on. Even I'm confused. Because in addition to all of this, my parents are ethnically Chinese, but my mom was born and raised in India because during the 1920s, Her rural family were so poor, they decided to emigrate to India to seek better opportunities. And they did this by walking. I know, that's a whole other story that we're not going to get into here. As I said, too many things. And I grew up in Sweden. You would think that growing up with so many influences, I would have infinite wells to draw strength from. And I did, at first. Because even though I'm as Chinese as they come, my mom raised me with a lot of Indian culture. Every weekend was filled with Shah Khan, chapati with sugar, and bickering aunts and uncles all battling it out in Hindi. And yeah, I understand Hindi, unfortunately. So I basically thought I was Indian up until the age of 10 because that's when a classmate of mine figured out a nifty way to make fun of my squinty eyes on the playground. And when I, with all my naive gusto, countered, but I'm Indian Chinese, he said, that's worse. Mocking me further with a terrible impression of a poo from The Simpsons. As if it wasn't enough that my whole cultural identity was just shattered, I now had to listen to a white kid impersonate a white man impersonating an Indian man? That's just bullying gone mad. And so all of these seemingly interesting parts that made up my identity now instead became vulnerabilities that people could make fun of me for. And I didn't like it because it cut deep. It's tough to explain how it feels to be ridiculed for not only what you look like, but also what, where, and whom you're from. Because it's not only my yellow skin that gets made fun of. It's the culture, history, and trials of my family that I carry within it because I'm a product of chance born out of the many risks the people before me took I exist only because they dared and those risks made up my family history a brave family history that I took pride in but a pull of the eye when no one's looking a haya when they attempt to kick me off the swings a Ching Chong in passing because they overheard me say goodbye to my grandma in Cantonese as she dropped me off at school. That all just made me start wishing that rich family history away. What was once pride in my identity got replaced with shame for being so different. And that shame just grew. I stopped watching the Bollywood films my mom would rent for us from the local Indian supermarket and instead replaced them with the wholesome American shows on TV like Saved by the Bell, Baywatch, and Oz. Don't drop the soap. These shows became my lifeline because I could escape into them and imagine myself into the storylines in an attempt to carve out a place of belonging. And that's also why I sound the way I do, because I wanted to belong so badly. Which, incidentally, didn't help because now my worldview is shaped by friends. And they told me that there are six archetypes of people in the world and they're all white and the only place for me would be if I were the rebound Chinese girlfriend Ross met in China that he sort of liked but actually didn't really like because he was still in love with Rachel. So yeah, Julie, I feel ya. But this was my new narrative now. I cast myself as the Lane Kim to the Rory Gilmores in my life, taking up just enough space to add a bit of color into the homogeny, but not enough to distract or offend my asianness became this novelty that i could offer up to my white friends to dip in and out of whenever they chose i would tell stories about my wacky chinese dad and how he couldn't distinguish the pronunciation between l and r and the hilarious misunderstandings that would ensue at his takeaway because of this i offered up these stories for laughs but in reality i would purposefully walk behind my chinese dad a man who worked 80 hour weeks and said takeaway Just so I wouldn't have to in my future. Because I wanted people to know that I wasn't like him. I may look like him. But I didn't sound like him. I sounded Swedish. Because I was white. On the inside. Where it counts. I'm so ashamed. I had completely disassociated my Asian-ness from my identity. For the purpose of fitting in storing it away like a shameful secret. It and I existed on the sidelines of the main Western and white narrative, patiently waiting to be invited in and given a space to exist in, like the model minority I was. And that, honestly, sucked. Because, I mean, even serial killers get lauded for being fascinating, and they've killed people. But I get side-eyed for eating chicken feet at dim sum? Come on, don't get me wrong. I did get love for my Asianess, but it wasn't exactly the type of love that I wanted. It was more the, do you do happy endings type of love? Or Can you shoot ping pong balls with your type of love? Or I only like you because you're Asian and that means you're submissive yet hypersexual type of love. Which is even more problematic in a terrifying way. Saying all of this, it is ironic that I then chose to become a comedian. Because if there's any field where blatant racism towards Asians have been excused, it's in comedy. Long Duck Dong's theme gong, Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's, and who could forget Monty Python's classic, I Like Chinese, that somehow condescendingly manages to paint us as both submissive and a threat at the same time. I mean, comedically? I have to give it to them. Incredible craftsmanship. I prefer it to always look on the bright side of life. So what was I doing here in a field where Asians were mere punchlines? If I'm being honest with you, I'd grown tired of waiting on the sidelines. I wanted to participate and maybe even change the narrative. And maybe somewhere in the back of my mind, I had this naive notion that I could somehow affect change in how Asians were perceived by subverting the stereotypes and making us the victors instead of the punchlines. But nobody laughed. Maybe because I wasn't that good at comedy in the beginning, but also audiences seemed to want impressions of my parents and jokes about how stereotypically Asian I was, just like my friends did. Had I painted myself into a corner? Because this unfortunately became apparent with TV commissioners too. Let me offer you a little observation I've made. No matter how much diversity and inclusion is discussed, there seems to be little to no real interest in our actual stories. Because a lot of the time when a person of color is asked to share their story, there seems to be an expectation for the story to be centered around our trauma of being othered. It's almost as if we're only allowed to exist on the sidelines of the main narrative. And then when we're invited in to speak, we can only speak about that experience. And if you're a producer or commissioner listening to this now and thinking, well, that's not me, relax. It's not about you. It's about me and how you sometimes make me feel. I'm just kidding. But also, I'm not. The thing is, I don't think the majority are aware that they're doing it. But it's quite exhausting Because explaining your trauma and justifying your worth on a daily basis is. And if we do start sharing the incredible stories of our family and our history and our culture, we're told that they're not relatable or we need to adapt them to make them understandable for a white audience. And so, yet again, I found myself offering up stories about my wacky Chinese family and how different to white people we are this time hoping to be given a space in an entertainment industry that had always viewed me as nothing more than a punchline. Then, about a little more than a year ago, I started a podcast that would have a tremendous effect on my relationship with my Asian-ness. And I know, how very millennial of me to state that a podcast changed my life. (laughs) But this podcast kinda changed my life. At least... My relationship with a big part of my life, together with Chinese-Malaysian born and bred comedian Nigel Ung, I started Rice to Meet You, a comedy podcast about Asian culture where we discuss the experience of living as East and Southeast Asian or EC people in the West. And also, we talk a lot about K-drama, or I talk a lot about K-drama, mark my words, I will meet Kang Hanul someday in a non-creepy way. Like me, Nigel was tired of the narrative surrounding EC people in Europe. See, he grew up in Malaysia and moved here to London as an adult. So his relationship with his Asianness was completely different to mine. He was unapologetically proud of being Asian. Because as he put it, in Malaysia, he was just a guy. He'd seen people who looked like him on television. He hadn't been ridiculed for his culture. He hadn't been reduced to a caricature. He'd had the opportunity to write his own narrative without being held to a stereotype. And he encouraged me to do the same. Through our conversations, I realized that the EC experience encompasses a vast, complicated, and nuanced number of life experiences which can't be bound to a singular definition. It may sound obvious, but when you grow up in the shadow of stereotypes, it isn't. And through sharing my personal struggles with my identity on the podcast, people reached out to me and shared theirs. And something that I'd missed so dearly as a young EC person in Europe was formed, a community. I realized that we no longer had to wait on the sidelines for an invitation to join the conversation. We'd created a space, ourselves, for a community that was largely overlooked and underserved. And for the first time in my life, I was exploring and expressing my Asian-ness without the feeling of having to be apologetic. And through this, I faced my own internalized racism. I had to repair my relationship with my Asian identity. And boy, was it hurt? i doused it with self-loathing, set it on fire, and hoped it would disappear. But it was still there, standing strong and ready to embrace me whenever I was ready to uncloak the shame I'd assigned it. And so slowly but surely, throughout this past year, my pride was coaxed back out, and the parts of me I deemed vulnerabilities now took their rightful seats as strength. As a minority, my struggles will always be less acknowledged by society as a whole and therefore feel harsher and more frustrating. But I can refuse to be complicit in it. In fact, I can actively work against it because one thing that othering does so well is that it projects into society and onto you a false narrative of who you are just because of what you look like and where you happen to be from. And at this moment, it is so important to actively work against those narratives because we're seeing and experiencing an exponential rise in anti-EC hate crimes in the UK. And just last week, in America, a 21-year-old white man with a gun targeted and killed six Asian women to eliminate them because he blamed them for providing an outlet for his addiction to sex. I have no words to explain how fucked up that is. All I can do is ask for help because my community is out there and right now we're frustrated and scared. But we're fighting. Please join us. Narrative, definition, adjective, a way of presenting or understanding a situation or series of events that reflects and promotes a particular point of view or set of values. I would like to dedicate this piece in memory of Sun Chung Park, Sun Cha Kim. Young AU, Hyun Jung, Jung Grant, Paul Andre Michels, Xiao Qi Tan, Da Yu Feng, and Elena Ashley Yon, who all lost their lives in a senseless attack, and to Elsias Hernandez Ortiz, who is fighting to hold on to his